You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning. So good to be with you this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Mike Evans. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at the church. I work with young adults and a lot of our volunteers. And it's just so good to be here with you. Um, If you could take a moment and just look around real quick at just everyone around you for a second. Go ahead and look back, look forward, look side, look side. This is what church should look like. It's full in here. There's like four other chairs. Come on. Oh, man. I just It's good. It's good to come together. Do not neglect coming together is what the scripture says. And we're not. And I like that. So I have neglected to be in this uh, Oakmont service for a little while, though. I've been up at the mills at our second location. For some reason, Sunday after Sunday, it seems like I'm getting scheduled at the mills, which is really David's fault. So you will have to. I'm just throwing him under the bus. Pastor Bill's here, too. So uh, he's, he, he can yell at him, too, because I love being with you all here in Oakmont. This is my family. And I love coming together. I love seeing you. I love talking with you. I love singing together. I love coming together and singing these songs of praise together. And I know that some of us in here, the whole singing and worship side of things, it's just not your thing. You're like, I don't get it. It's kind of weird. Um, everyone's raising their hands. It's bizarre. It's awkward. It's just not my thing. I am more into the preaching or the word, but like worship isn't your thing. I get it. But the thing that I love about coming together and singing is it gives us an outlet to express truths about God. Uh, lyrics that express truths about God, theological truths uh, about how God is, who he is like, his nature, the way he acts. It gives our, our emotions an expression. And I love that about coming in, together and singing. And we sang, and I'm going to take a hard stance here. One of my favorite, no, no, that's not a hard stance. My favorite Christmas carol, Hark the Herald, Angels Sing, is my favorite Christmas carol. I would encourage you, I don't, I don't want to sound trite here, but you have a homework assignment. You just have to have a homework assignment. When you leave here at some point today, you got to listen to Hark the Herald, Angels Sing, and really listen, or maybe pull up the lyrics and read the lyrics, because literally within that carol is the truth that will save humanity. All within this nicely framed thing that we're so used to singing, and it's like, Hark the Herald, Angel. You don't even think it, you know? But it's like, wow, if you actually take in, drink in those lyrics, it's just, it's amazing. And I love that about songs. Certain songs really can capture the beauty of God and the truth of God and hope for humanity. And you have these moments within the scripture where you can observe people bursting out into song. And Speaking of the goodness of God, who he is, what he is like, how he acts. And this month we've been looking at various songs found within the scripture of people coming out singing in song about God. And um, last week, if you missed, we are in part two of a series. Part one was last week and we looked at Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus, the whole angelic announcement to Mary that she would bear Jesus, bring a king into the world. And she bursts into song, and you really learn a lot about God when looking at her song. And this morning, we're going to look at another song that's in Luke chapter 1, looking at Zechariah. And we're going to talk at greater length about the background of this song. But before we get to that, I thought I would just read it to you in its entirety, because it's beautiful. It speaks of a hope 
for humanity, a different way, as our theme for this month suggests, that there is a different way. And so I am going to read it in its entirety, and then we're going to talk about it. But um, maybe this time, and you're more than welcome to, to follow along in, this, in the text if you'd like, but I would actually encourage that you just listen. Just listen to this song of praise from Zechariah. It's quite beautiful. He says, and this is in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 68 through 79. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, this is a little bit of a spoiler alert, a little bit of an anecdotal statement. I just have to. This is speaking of John the Baptist who would prepare the way for the Lord. And you, my child, that child being John the Baptist, will be called a prophet of the Most High for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Wow, I love that last bit. I'm gonna read it again. It's very poetic, moving. By which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. It's just beautiful. I love this song of praise and what it tells of a God, the creator of the universe, of how he has a different way for people. There's a different way that comes in light of Jesus entering this world. Light has come into the world. And I like how this text, it makes it clear, our main verse for this month of a different way is a light has come into the world. Not a light among many lights, not another light, but light has come into the world. Seeming to suggest that without Jesus entering the world, the world is really in darkness. And so when God enters into the picture, when God enters into the scene, when Jesus enters, things begin to look a little bit different. And I'm thankful for that. Because my soul yearns for something different. If I'm looking internally, I see a messed up person who gets frustrated with himself because, and I'm talking in third person, which is weird, I will say. But I make mistakes. I'm going to switch it. You ever come across someone who talks to third person all the time? It's bizarre. See, I had a moment. I did this first service too. I ruined it. I had a nice moment. I just ruined it. I don't know why I do this. I don't know why I'm this way. <laughs> I look internally and I think, man, I'm frustrated, just like the Apostle Paul. I want to do good, but I end up doing the wrong thing. And it's just, it's, just, it's just very frustrating. God, would you give me something different? I'm so tired of making these same mistakes and being selfish and not being as I should be. If I look externally at the world, I see everything from, from catastrophe happening on an on environmental level, on, a, on levels between people, evil existing, killing, hatred, manipulation. And I think to myself, oh, I just need a different way. I want a different way. And here's a claim of the scripture. 
that light has come into the world and that there is a different way that is available. In fact, God wants to come into brokenness and into darkness and not just improve it, but change it to bring light into the situation, to illuminate, literally to reverse situations, to reverse brokenness and death and loss. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful claim of the scripture that God wants to come in and do something different. And for me particularly, this could be another moment that just ruins everything, which is okay, a little bit. Uh, I just like change. You know, you might see me, I I was saying this at the mills the other day, at at any given point, my hair might be longer, my facial hair might be shorter, might be longer, might have just a mustache only, who knows? I just, I like change. It has nothing to do with anything, but uh, I just like a different way. (laughs) And God comes with a different way, which then beckons the question, okay, if it's true, that God wants to usher in a different way to bring a reversal in our lives of some of the dark areas of our lives that we might be experiencing something new, different. The question is, how can I get there to a level of experience of a different way that God has for me? Now, having volunteered with youth ministry for 10 plus years now, over a decade, you throw out, we have a time in our service where we... Um, in our gathering, our meeting, coming together, whatever you want to say, fellowship, we come together and there's a small group time and you throw out questions like, hey, what do you like to do for fun? And then there are always like these, uh, God bless them, you know, these token Christian answers that you get. Read my Bible. (laughs) And you're like, okay, what's your favorite thing to, what's your favorite thing in this world? Jesus. Very good. A plus for that. It's like, it almost seems like a trite Christian kind of an answer, right? But yeah, I, I don't want to give them credit. I think that some of them, you know, really are really into the scriptures and into Jesus and everything like that. But um, when asking this question, how can I get to this place of experiencing something different that God has for me? A reversal of the darkness into light. There is a response that I think at face value seems a little elementary for the Christian. Seems a little trite, maybe a little normal. And I'm praying this morning that the answer to this question would be illuminated to us in a new way, that we would experience a different way as a result of this common answer to how can a life experience a different way, the way that God has for them, a reversal of the darkness into the light. It's by faith. Faith in God specifically. Now it's that word faith that I think has become this kind of like token Christian answer. Ah, faith, it just takes faith, faith. Yeah, I'm a person of faith. But people of faith, they need to have faith. They need to give faith. What is faith? <laughs> and it's easy, I think, to, to, to have a word become so normal where maybe it starts to lose its potency. Because I really believe that a faith in God can get us to a place of experiencing that all that God has for us, regardless of whether that brings difficulty in our lives, a season of trouble or difficulty, or good. I believe it takes faith to experience what it is that God has for us. So then the question is, okay, what is faith? What is faith? And I'm thankful for the scripture because the scripture gives us definitions of things and verses that are very helpful. Like for instance, on the basis or the question of faith, what is faith? Hebrews 11, chapter 11, verse one is great. Now I'm going to let you in on a little uh, way my mind works in the hopes that maybe it'll help someone in here because I was on the fence of whether I was going to share this or go through this, but I think it might be helpful because oftentimes people come up to me and they say, oh, what kind of, what kind of Bible version do you like? 
And so I had a robust question, and I have a, a lengthy answer, which I will truncate. I will shorten. But any time that I study a passage of Scripture, like Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, I always run it through five translations, which is actually not that difficult to do because if you have, for instance, the Version app, I would encourage you, if you don't, to download that because uh, there are a bunch of different translations. And translations are helpful because they help us bridge the historical distance between when the writers originally wrote the text inspired by God to when we're reading them now. And so there are, there's like a continuum. There's most literal translation and then there's most contemporary translation. Most original, literal to the original Greek or Hebrew, Greek New Testament, Hebrew Old Testament, or most contemporary, what does that word translate to the English language today? And so it's a bit of a spectrum. And so I always first run it through the NASB. Now there's a false, bear with me here for a moment. Don't don't fall asleep here, because this could be, this could be good. Uh, It could be bad, I don't know. Um, There is a false understanding that says, okay, the most literal is the best. It might be. But hold on there, because for a moment, there are things in historical distance and language that a modern kind of translation could help us with. For instance, if you read 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17, all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable and useful for teaching, correcting, training, rebuking, and training in righteousness, so that the most literal translation, man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, if you are female and you read that, you would think, is this not for me? Is this not for me? Is this just for the man? However, in the original language, that word man is a gender neutral term. And so a more contemporary version will say, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So each have their merit, each have their benefit to reading. So I always go through a level of five and I start with the NASB, which is the most literal word for word translation. ESV, which is very close to that, but just a touch more contemporary, a little you know, wily guys there. And then um, a nice dynamic equivalent, which is my scripture uh, that I read, that I preach from, that devotionally I read on the most consistent basis is NIV, 2011 version. And then I go to NLT, which is even more contemporary. And then on the most paraphrased contemporary is the message. And so with this text of what is faith, it's a long That was long. That was a lot there. Now we can actually get to the text of what is faith? Looking at Hebrews chapter 11 through this lens of five different translations, starting with the NASB. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Directly identical, yes, V. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. NIV. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. The NLT, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Then the message, the fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. So with the word faith, we get terms like assurance, We get confidence, we get trust, we get hope for, we get belief. And when you get to the root of the word, this trust and this belief, that is faith. When we trust and believe, when God directs us, when God gives us a word, when we trust it, when we believe it, that is to have faith in God. But faith is not just up here in the theoretical or philosophical world. There's an actional component to faith. 
And I'm going to tip my hat to my dad on this one, which I, uh, it was a little bit of a mystery because this illustration came to me this week and I couldn't remember if it came from my dad or if it came from something I read, I don't know, but don't worry, everyone. We confirmed last service, it was from my dad, who I'm a second generation, actually maybe third generation preacher in my family, which is kind of cool. But um, my dad, he, he always gave this example of if you are in a third story building that is on fire and there is no escape but that third story window, and there is a firefighter on a cherry picker bucket lift. I don't know what you call those things. Um, outside of the window, and you have no way out, and, and that arm is extending to you. That window open, and that man or woman in that bucket reaching out to you saying, hey, take my hand, I will save you. To say that you have faith that that person will take you to safety, and yet to remain in the house is no faith at all. I trust you. I believe you. But I'm going to stay here. That is scary. Faith is actionable. Faith is, I believe you. I trust you. I take the step. I will come and grab your hand and I will go as you are calling me to go. And in the scripture, you have many great examples. That's a great thing of the Bible. You can see great examples of people who were directed by God, given promises by God, and they responded with real faith, real trust, real obedience in God. Abraham, for example, looking at Genesis chapter 12 specifically, God says to Abraham, I want you to go to, I want you to, go to this place. Leave the land where you are living. I want you to go to this place that I have prepared for you. And I will make your name great, and I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars. What a wild and crazy promise. And Abraham had faith and he left the place where he was to the place that God had prepared for him into the unknown. That's like the equivalent of today. He picked up his kids. He, he, he left everything behind and went to a place he didn't know. That would be as if God was saying to you, all right, take your family, uproot them, forget your job. And I want you to go over the seas to this random country that you've never been to before. Whoa. You have to admit, like when you read it in the scripture, you're like, of course he went, he should go. But then if you make it your own, it's like, oh, wow. Yeah, that's a little, the unknown, the uncertainty, the fear. But Abraham, he took that step and he moved in faith and believed God. He trusted God. And faith, as a result, it was demonstrated and proved to be something very powerful for the human life. That not only can it change your experience of the world faith, that by trusting and believing in God, you can experience the world in a new light but it can actually change your very existence, the way you are before God. It's a bit heady, but stay with me here for a moment. In Romans chapter four, verse three, quoting Genesis chapter 15, verse six, it says of Abraham's faith, his belief, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. But by his trust, by his belief, by his faith that God actually looked at Abraham, and it he was a changed man. He was made righteous. He was credited as righteous before God because of his faith. It's just amazing when you can read these examples like Abraham and people in the scripture, and there are numerous, many, where you can see God giving these crazy, uh, odds stacked against them scenarios, promising grand things where people, they, they just trust him. They take, they have faith in God, and, and they take those steps. And then maybe you're here this morning and you're like, that is exactly why I can't identify with people in the Bible. 
Because when I see some of the things that God is saying or some of the things that that would mean for my life, I just can't, it's not easy for me to just be like, okay, God, I'm gonna go for it. You got me, I have faith. And there are examples in the scripture as well of people who struggled with some of the things that God had said. And so I wanna look to this Zechariah who we read his praise. So we kind of already see how the story ends for Zechariah. But there's this event, you know, it's often that we can see the praise, we can see the song, we can see where someone is at in their relationship and faith with God and forget that there was a story beforehand. And that's the case with Zechariah because he went through quite a tumultuous period in his faith journey. And that's recorded in Luke chapter one, verse five through 25 where you have this picture of Zechariah, who was a priest. And I want to sum it up uh, on my own here. So if I miss some of the details, I would really encourage you to write down the scripture passage and read it because it's fantastic. It's amazing. You have Zechariah, who is a priest of God, and he is married. He has a wife. And these two, they were seen as being blameless before God. I mean, that's a pretty lofty term. It says that both of them were righteous in the sight of God observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. The Zechariah, he was a, a person of God and his wife, people of God, so much so that, wow, I wish it could be said of me that I you know, followed the decrees and the laws blamelessly. That's a big deal. And then the scripture goes on to say that Elizabeth was not able to conceive, meaning she could not have children, and they were both very old. And so, actually, as a quick another anecdotal statement here, um, this is a good point to pause and say, God is going to do something different in their lives. Something amazing. Miraculous. That's a spoiler alert. Which says that if you are here, and maybe you are wondering, because of your stage of life, of whether God has something for you, it is very normal of God to have something new for people. That this maybe the moment where God wants to do something new in your life. You're wondering whether there's anything else God can do with your life. God is a God who wants to do something different and can do something new at any given point that he wants. God is not done with you yet. And so here comes this moment where Zechariah and Elizabeth, this understanding that they were blameless, good people, God-fearing people. Elizabeth could not have children. And then an angel appears before Zechariah and says, well, first of all, don't be afraid, which is great. Because if I saw an angel, an angel uh, appear before me, it would be jarring, frightening, unsettling, nerve-wracking. I wouldn't know what was going on. So I'm glad that, you know, that angel kind of responded in such a way. Don't be afraid. And then he goes on to explain that something miraculous is going to happen, Zechariah. That God wants to do something, and this is me paraphrasing, something with Elizabeth. That she is going to conceive and give birth to a son, and he is going to be great. He's going to pave the way for a king who is going to come. That he is going to help point people away and out of the darkness to this up-and-coming light. And then Zechariah, you would think this would be an amazing moment for Zechariah. Because if we read the text, it says that they were both old in age and Elizabeth was unable to conceive. And in fact, the angel said, the Lord has heard your prayer. Something miraculous is going to happen. And Zechariah had a, a moment 
a moment that I think that we can identify with here, if we're normal, like honest people, when it comes to the things that God says to us sometimes, or maybe our first reaction isn't like, all right, that's great. <laughs> no, Zechariah actually expressed some doubt. Zechariah said, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is, is well on in years. Now, here's the difference here. He expresses some doubt and very sophisticatedly, I don't even think that's a word, sophist, sophisticated, in a matter of sophistication, I have labeled good doubt, there's good doubt and there's bad doubt. Mary, this was a mirror image to Mary's announcement and Mary's situation, the mother of Jesus. An angel appeared. She was, she was young, a virgin, and said, God is going to come. You are going to have a son. He's going to be the king. It's going to be awesome. And she responded with some doubt, but it was good doubt. It was a, coming from a place of humility, of openness. She was humble. She was open. She was seeking. And she said, how can this be? I am still a virgin. You see, the, the scriptures don't see all doubt as rebellious, but it also, doubt shouldn't be something that we stay in perpetually. When you look at Jude chapter 1, verse 22, it says, be merciful to those who doubt. But there is a fundamental difference between good doubt and bad doubt. And while Mary had good doubt, humble, open, and seeking before the Lord and questioning, there is also a bad doubt. As one theologian would say it like this, there's a kind of doubt that really is seeking more information. This is good doubt that wants to believe if it's possible. There's also a kind of doubt that really is looking for a way out, that doesn't want to believe or submit, that's looking for a way to keep control of one's life. And that was the state of Zechariah's heart. He was closed. He wanted to keep control of his life. He did not have the faith to get him to the place that he needed to get to. And as a result, which is often the case of our bad doubt, and it's very important that you hear this distinction of bad doubt, where we are unopened, we are closed. That's the real word, not unopened, closed. Closed to what it is that God wants for our lives. God, I see what you're saying, what you are promising, the way you want me to go, the news you are delivering to me, and I'm just going to do my own thing. I just, I, I want, I just, I just don't believe it. I don't know if I can trust it. It doesn't make sense to me because God will lead us to places that just don't seem to make sense. It doesn't make sense that a woman would conceive and give birth to a child when she's been unable to have children her whole life. It might even be fearful, unknowing what God wants to do with our lives. It might not make sense to us. And it's there that we're tempted to try to keep control. And there are consequences to bad doubt. And there are oftentimes negative consequences to bad doubt, both naturally and supernaturally. In the case of Zechariah, for instance, in the midst of his doubt, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent, not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, a lack of faith, a lack of trust, a lack of belief. 
which will come true at their appointed time. Because you did not believe, there's now going to be a negative result. You are going to be unable to speak. And here's where it gets important. And this is, if you fell asleep at all, if I've been boring you at all, I hope that this is where you can wake up for a moment. Because when I was studying this text, this is the moment that was really gripping me within the text. Something that I think is very, very helpful. One that's kind of sobering, humbling. And that is when we do our own thing versus having faith in God. When we have a doubt, a lack of trust, because we don't want to be open to what God has for us, that we want to just go our own way, we want to have more control of our lives, that will lead us to a place of destruction. And here's the thing about the destruction, the negative consequence that we face. It will either serve as something that will perpetually keep us away from God, or it can serve as something intended to draw us back to God. I want to say that again. When we have a negative, a bad kind of doubt, a lack of trust in God, that will lead to negative consequences in our lives. And that negative consequence can do one of two things. It will either keep us perpetually away from God, continually away from God. And sometimes it sounds like this. God, I am going through so much struggle, so much trial, so much hardship, Even if there was a God that exists, I would never want to follow him because I am going through what I am going through right now. How could there be a good God? If there is a good God, I just don't want anything to do with him. And so perpetually, us going our own way, spiraling more and more into the darkness and away from the light, we experience negative consequences. It can perpetually keep us away from the Lord. Or, and this is my prayer this morning, that the result of our doubt, our lack of trust in God, a lack of faith, leading us to unhealthy patterns, unhealthy ends, unhealthy consequences would actually draw us back to God. Because for Zechariah, this is an important point. I would encourage you to write it down. For Zechariah, the negative result of Zechariah's doubt was a sign of the truth of God's word. Could it be That while God has a way for us in the way we are to operate within our sexuality, the way we view our relationships, the way that we order our time, our energy, our finances, what we prioritize, how we treat others. If we do not have a faith in the way God has ordered the world and the way he has for our lives and we lack a trust with it and go our own way and we experience downfall, could it be that it is a loving God who has created this world of cause and effect? where we could recognize this is not because of the result of our sinful decision-making. It's there that we can recognize that, no, there's God, and he has a different way. His, my way is not working. This way is not working. I, I, should, I should give God's way a shot. I should go God's way. If it is true that if I were to stick my hand onto a hot stovetop and hold it there, and I would lose functionality of my hand. My hand would die on top of the stovetop. If that is true, and I love working with my hands and use, you know, hugging my wife, holding my wife's hand, if I can't use my hand, if it's true that if I hold it on a stovetop, it will lead me to that end, then I'm thankful for the problem of, for the situation of pain, the feeling of pain, because it alerts me to the fact that, duh, before destruction, 
I can pull the hand away. And could it be that the sinful consequences and results of our actions is designed to be a wake-up call that we could say, I need to go back to God? It's a hard and it's a sobering thought. But I believe the cause and effect of sin and doubt, a lack of trust in God going our own way is really from a gracious God designed to draw us back. I had a, uh, I have a friend, have a friend who I grew up with in middle school and high school. His name is John. And John is a close friend. He was a close friend. And uh, I care about John a lot. And there was a, a moment in high school where we played football together and John, he broke his leg. And John was prescribed Vicodin as a result. And um, John became addicted to Vicodin. So much so that he would go to the streets of Philadelphia and he would be looking for pain pills. He had an addiction. He was building an addiction until his money was running thin. And so then he said, or his supplier said, oh, you don't have money for pain pills. They're so, ex- so expensive. Just, just go to the next level. And he, he mentioned certain hard drugs that he could use. And John, being the guy that he is, he's like, no, I can't do that. I'm not, I'm not a drug addict. I, I, I don't want to, you know, use these hard drugs. And, and, and his supplier said, but what's the difference? It's the difference between $30 versus $10. You really just saved money. And so my friend John, he ended up using hard drugs and it consumed his life. He was stealing from his grandmother, sweetest woman in the world, stealing from his parents. Everything was feeding this addiction. And I remember he he got a girl pregnant and had a son and in a moment of moral consciousness, he was like, oh, I need to you know, be good for the son and my son if we get married. And they, they got married. And then not soon afterwards, I remember standing in the lobby of the mills, uh, our second location, and just uh, yelling at John because he was telling me, I'm breaking it off with her. And I was like, John, no, no, you got to stick it out. You got to stick it out. And I had the place and relationship to do this. And he left and then he spiraled downhill into further addiction and he moved to Florida to seek rehab and rehabilitation. And he met a girl and started dating her and she died in an overdose situation. And I remember, it was about four years ago, I remember visiting John in New Jersey, our hometown. I learned that he was living out of a Ramada Inn. And I remember visiting John At 2 a.m. in the morning, I remember sitting on the curbside with John. This is my friend who we experienced God together. I remember we we experienced an authentic move of God. Literally, we would midway through the week come together and pray to God, seek these prayer times before God. And I remember just sitting with him. And it was like a moment that he wanted to pause because I just refused to look at him in light of his addiction. I just knew John to be this God-fearing God-loving guy who I prayed with and who we experienced God and worshiped together. And I remember just sitting back on that curbside and I just looked at John and I said, John, how did we get here? And I remember him taking a drag of a cigarette and he said, I don't know how we got here. I remember that moment we left and I went up to the, used the restroom and I had all the money in my pocket and I just put it on top of the toilet and I left. And, he got a, and I got a text from him like 20 minutes later. I said, Mike, you left a bunch of money here. I said, that's for your son. Don't you dare buy anything else with that but baby formula and diapers. I love you, John. Jesus will always love you. I remember that moment. And then I remember 
I'm just getting a little emotional, so stay with me. I remember having to pray the hardest prayer I have ever had to pray for anyone to this point ever. I remember crying out to God. I said, God, I pray that you would bring him to the floor, the basement of his life experience. Help him to realize how dark his own way can get. I didn't know where else to turn. I wanted to pray something positive. But I was like, God, bring him to the basement. I don't know what else to do. Make him know. I don't know. Whatever it takes, even if it hurts him. And I remember crying as I'm crying now because he's my best friend. And that's the thing. That moment, that darkness that we can experience in light of our lack of trust can serve as a way to bring us back to God. Where we can experience a different way. That these are to be signs that say, look at where sinfulness and doubt, a lack of trust in God can take you. Instead, turn to God that you might experience a different way because Zechariah, he didn't stay within his doubt. He came to understand the full truth of God and he burst out into song. He experienced a reversal where his wife could not have children. God, he wanted to come into the situation and reverse And he burst out into song. And I want to invite the worship team to come up this morning. And his song again was this. Praise be to the Lord. The God of Israel. Because he has come to his people. And redeemed them. He has raised up a horn. A mighty king. The word horn. Of salvation for us. In the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show us mercy, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the most high for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. To give his people, and this is the word for us this morning. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us. From heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the path of peace. Church, it is my prayer that you would experience a reversal by faith. Experience a reversal by faith. I believe that Jesus' light has come into the world that we might experience a reversal. And in the song, we get to see pictures of what that reversal looks like. A reversal of the power of sin in our lives, both internally and externally. May it be by faith that we can experience a God who wants to come into our lives and into the darkness of sin in our lives. That we might experience a reversal. That we would experience the Holy Spirit no longer under the bondage of sin, but freedom in God to live as God has called us to live. May we by faith experience a confidence in God. A reversal of fear if we wake up every day not knowing what is going to happen the following day or at the end of our lives. May God come by faith into your life that you might experience a reversal of confidence. 
If you have only experienced a lack of love or a lack of compassion or mercy in your life, maybe you grew up in a harsh environment, by faith in Jesus, may you experience a reversal where you will know an unconditionally loving Father who will never leave you, who will never forsake you. If you can't help but wake up every day, your head off the pillow and wonder, what is the point of living? I've got no purpose or meaning for my life. There is no significance. May you, by faith in Jesus, experience a life-transformative power of how he wants to come into your life and set your life on mission, that he's got a job and a spot for you within the kingdom of God to build this kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Will you stand to your feet, church? The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe, have faith in, trust that God has raised him from the grave and that he is seated at the right hand of the Father, that you will be saved. And so let us turn to God by faith. When he wants to direct our time, when he wants to direct our relationships, when he wants to direct our lives, our finances, every fabric of our being, May we trust him wholly and completely. And where darkness exists, may we experience a reversal by faith. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you have not left us stuck. We recognize that on our own, we are stuck, God. And I pray for the person here who's going through hardship, not because they're following you, but because they're following their own way. And Holy Spirit, I even pray right now that you would stir up, that you would convict and help the sign point to the truth of you, God. That they would be drawn back to you, that they would submit every area of their life to you, that they would experience a reversal of life, not just mere existence, but a life because of the light of the world. It's scary taking steps of faith and trusting when maybe we don't have all the pieces, God, but I pray for the person here who needs that assurance, who needs that confidence. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would build faith in this place, that we would be a people who would look at you in your word and we would step, believe, and trust every step of the way that we might experience your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven because there's no other name under which men can be saved but the name of Jesus, and we want to glorify that name. So move in this place. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.